lead with the main idea to keep it short and to always use a hook, meaning that you want to grasp the attention of the interviewer early on and you don't want to wait too much to, so you keep them engaged. Welcome to Latinx Can, a podcast showcasing Latinx professionals who turn their dreams into realities. I'm your host, La Doctora Jenire Flores Delgado, and today I bring you tips and tricks shared by Dr. Stephanie Flores Pollack about how to apply for medical school, which can also be useful when applying to other opportunities. And she is here to tell you, si se puede, my friends, si se puede. You mentioned that the way that you applied to med school um, was per perhaps not the typical way to do it. What is uh, like a typical uh, process to apply for med school? Yeah, so there is a national application that most of the medical schools participate in. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about this application is that you fill it out once and then you just pay for the individual schools that you want to apply to. Mm. I think overall, as I mentioned, California and Texas are a little bit different because their medical schools are funded by the state. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have preference for residents of that individual state. However, most of the medical schools in the rest of the U.S. are uh, accepting of really anybody. Um, it is a very tough process. Mm -hmm. And what medical school admissions counselors or ad, um, admissions boards are looking for are people who have demonstrated grit during their college uh, education mm -hmm. and people that have experienced a growth phase and a matured opinion of what being in medicine is like. Um, of course, that is all founded on the that you have done well, you have performed mm -hmm. academically well. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be perfect again, but having a good GPA is important. And having a history of, uh, like we talked about, nurturing those interests that make you you and make mm -hmm. you unique is very important. Normally, medical school classes are very small. Uh, an average medical school class is about 50 to 100 students. So uh, admissions boards are looking to diversify the interests of the medical students accepted into in, an individual class. So if there's something that you can bring to the table, that is the what you have to lead with in your personal statements, in your applications, mm. because that is what's going to set you apart from others. That's where your story becomes important again, right? Being, being, um, I'm trying to find the word in English, being proud of your, of your story and, uh, um, secure in yourself in sharing it. Uh, that makes a huge difference. So you apply to med school, right? You mentioned, um, there are interviews. How are those interviews? What happens? So interviews happen 
Um, well, I was going to say at the medical school, but now in the era of COVID, mm. I actually think that they're all moving into a virtual platform. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I was applying, you would either drive or fly to the medical school. And it's a day long process where you meet with about four to six interviewers. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's less. It's It can be two interviewers. Um, and in these interviews, uh, really what they're trying to do is to get to know you. So the questions mm-hmm. tend more to be about mm-hmm. uh, your story, as we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that really the interview is just try to pick up on how genuine you are about your interest in medicine and how informed is your choice. So they may ask questions as to, you know, uh, what is your experience uh, in terms of a career in medicine? Like, how did you become informed of this, whether Mm -hmm. it was shadowing or research? Mm. And they may ask you to expand upon those things because they're trying to figure out if you will be able to be happy as a, as a doctor. Um, the other thing that interviewers may take some time to, to delve on are uh, weaknesses in your application. Mm-hmm. And I think that the purpose is twofold. The first one is to see how applicants can um, respond in the face of a little bit of an uncomfortable question. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second one is, to allow applicants to bring up things that they may be either embarrassed or they did not want to put in the application, but that are more personal to them. So to give you an example of that, uh, one of the questions in the application asks you if you are a disadvantaged student, and I checked yes. Mm -hmm. And my interviewers did ask me multiple times, why was that the case? And that's when I really got to delve into the all the backstory that I mm-hmm. wasn't able to put in my personal statement regarding mm-hmm. my struggles in college, mm-hmm. the depression, um, the financial issues, um, the the lack of uh, pe- people in my family who knew uh, how to how to apply to medical school or even be in college. And so that provided a safe space for me to share with somebody the kind of the barriers that I was breaking. And you mentioned, you know, this, the purpose of that question might be to test you a little bit on how you react to an an uncomfortable question. Is there anything that you recommend in, in, you know, answering those types of questions? So one, this is the, my question is two part. I guess the first one is, is there a way that you should be answering these questions? I I know for applying to a job, there's always the STAR method that they, they would expect you to know how to use. Um, and the second part of the question is, is there anything else that you can share on addressing these uncomfortable questions that you might face? Yes. Uh, so one of the things I recommend is prior to any interview, whether it's for medical school, residency, um, or even a job, is to look up common interview questions and answer them ahead of time. Mm-hmm. That will just kind of set your mind, give a little bit of a of an outline of what you're going to say. Now, you don't want to memorize your answers to the degree of you sounding robotic, 
but you do want to have a little bit of a structure as to how you're going to address the question. Um, I don't think that there will be, as far as medical school interviews, there's a specific method to answering questions. Mm -hmm. Usually these interviews are long and your answers are tend to be long as well. Okay. Um, so what I advise applicants who are in the interview process is to know how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And there are some tips that you can look up on the internet about storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this book uh, called Pitch Perfect, mm-hmm. which is a book dedicated as to um, how to be a good communicator. Um, and a few principles that book teaches is to lead with the main uh, idea, to keep it short, Mm -hmm. And to always use a hook, meaning that you want to grasp the attention of the interviewer early on Mm -hmm. um, and you don't want to wait too much. So you keep them engaged. Open with a punchline. That's right. I have come to learn that as well. Uh, after many failed attempts at winning at poster sessions. <laughs> I remember my first poster sessions, uh, I would present my poster and it would be uh, 30 minutes long. And like, there's no judge in the life of, of, of uh, you know, a judge for these events that has enough time to spend 30 minutes at each poster uh, and still judge them all. So eventually, years later, I think it took me maybe two or three years i i condensed it to five minutes and the one thing that i share is open with a punchline you tell them exactly what you achieved in the first 30 seconds and how important that was and then you let them ask the questions that the that they want to ask exactly so i think for those looking to improve their communication skills i would definitely recommend this very easy read um it's called pitch perfect by bill mccowan who is a communicators communication expert um and it's an absolutely wonderful easy book to read um for any and i think it helps for anyone who is in the Mm -hmm. professional world yeah i think that's true um, so you get through your interviews and uh, you're accepted into medical school. Uh, and I think one of the biggest barriers definitely to get into med school is the finances because it's really expensive in the United States. Uh, how do you navigate that challenge? Well, uh, I totally agree with you. Applying to medical school and being an, an, an student in a medical profession is expensive. And really, I think that that is a big contributor to the disparities that we see Mm. in terms of the differences between minorities and non-minorities in medical professions. Mm -hmm. The American Medical Association has made statements regarding this, um, and different specialties have also made statements regarding this. And I think that that is why it's so important to keep these applications as one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some 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 things are being made. Now, I will say that medical schools themselves have taken some action on this. And when you identify yourself as a disadvantaged applicant, mm-hmm. they have scholarships where they can waive the application fee for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is an important resource to know about, and you can find it very easily on their admissions page. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some medical schools do that. The other thing is just try to apply locally. 
Usually, mm-hmm. uh, local state-funded schools tend to be cheaper in terms of tuition mm-hmm. and in terms of the application uh, process because you don't have to incur co- costs of flights or getting there or getting a hotel. Mm-hmm. So wherever you are, there could be mm-hmm. a medical school near you. And as I've stated before, the name carries very little importance in the end in order to be a good physician. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we don't introduce ourselves by saying which medical school we, we went to. We mm-hmm. assume that you're a good physician by your character and your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those two tips are important. I will say that uh, part of the ways that I funded my my medical school was through family members giving me uh, funding my my application process, trying to kind of pitch in, mm-hmm. and uh, wherever I could, I would stay with friends. I would try to uh, carpool with other applicants. You know, just try to mm-hmm. cut cut the costs that yeah. add up. That's very important. Trying to rely on your support network. I think you said something really interesting, which is. Uh, finding or clicking the box on if you have challenges, if you are disadvantaged in a way, clicking the box, I think there might be a prejudice for people to say, oh, I'm not going to uh, click on this box because people might think that whatever, you know, but in this case, it, it can help you. Absolutely. I think that is so important to to identify yourself as disadvantaged if you have faced an important barrier, uh, a major barrier in your education, because that allows people on the other side to offer help that they would otherwise not help you. Um, So I could not stress it enough that if you are somebody who belongs to a minority, Mm -hmm. you are socially or economically disadvantaged, um, that you identify yourself as disadvantaged. Um, And, you know, even if you don't feel disadvantaged because you have Mm -hmm. built the strength and the grit to, to be a functional and successful being despite all of your challenges, it's important for for them uh, in order to really kind of support you throughout your entire education. So, you know, um, in the Latinx community, um, a lot of us are immigrants and uh, haven't really built the generational wealth that might take to actually fund your medical career. Uh, And another barrier that I can imagine is not having the credit score that uh, might make it easier for somebody to get a loan or to to pay for for med school. Do you have any tips uh, as to how to address that challenge? Yeah, and that actually uh, applies to me very much so because I went through the majority of my undergraduate education under a visa that would not allow me to really have a credit score. So I relied mainly on grants and grants are free money that either the state or individual institutions can give you. Mm-hmm. Um, grants are different from loans and, uh, from loans in the fact that grants, just like scholarships, may be more merit based, but also mm-hmm. need based. So this mm-hmm. also uh, is important to, to emphasize that wherever you can uh whenever you can share that you have a need Mm -hmm. it is important to to do so because that's how you get grants um so 
you know, it can be done. Definitely being able to access uh, federal loans as well as private loans is uh, an advantage. Mm-hmm. But for those of, of, li- of you listeners who are DACA recipients or uh, who are undocumented or are bearers of a visa that doesn't allow them to to start building a credit score, mm-hmm. the best bet would be to have uh, grants and scholarships. And so that means you have to study very hard mm-hmm. and make sure that in those, uh, you know, you fill out income taxes where you show that you are mm. not uh, generating the income mm-hmm. um that that you would otherwise need to to afford this. And where will you go to look for those grants? Now Texas has its own um, kind of uh, institution for grants, so that's where I got the majority of my financial aid. Texas A and M, so your own institution has grants and scholarships. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that even after I had applied through all the grants and I was still lacking money, mm-hmm. the one tool that helped me was actually walking personally to the financial aid office, mm. setting up appointments, and telling them my needs and telling yeah. them, you know, I am about I'm about to start applying to medical school and I need this much money. How mm-hmm. can I get help? Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that when you ask for help, you get help. Yeah. Um, one example I'll give you is one time I told them, uh, went to the office and I told them about um, my need to, you know, to to afford things. And I got a phone call from a private donor, somebody who donates to the university, wow. but had heard my story and they just, you know, sent me a check. So, you know, these are the things that we it's important to know that there are people out there who are willing to help you and it may not be the most traditional way of getting financial aid but you know i think in this day and age if there's something that we have realized is that being creative is really yes. well. i love that and i think i can you know see myself reflected not from my point of view because i was incredibly incredibly lucky to have my education fully funded in my undergrad and then when I went to grad school I got paid to go to grad school not I didn't have to pay to go to grad school Uh, but my brother uh, had a similar story as yours where he came over to the U.S. to live with me when when he was 17 i think after after high school and we had some money saved to pay for his education but the one thing i told him and i think i learned it from another international student at a and m was just to apply for any scholarship it didn't matter if you were qualified or not all you lose is the time that you put into applying for the scholarship, but you might get a lot in return. And I know my brother would be like, oh yeah, but I don't qualify for that scholarship. And I told, I would tell him, just apply. It doesn't matter. Because where I learned from, from Xander, he was my mentor actually, um, is that, you know, there are many scholarships out there that nobody applies for. And if you get an application in, even if you're not qualified, they'll give it to you because nobody else is asking for that money. That's totally right. Yeah. So use the internet, look up scholarship databases, and whether it's writing an essay uh, about some, you know, 
piece of literature, whether it is uh, sharing any part of your particular story, those are scholarships that are underutilized and they build up. Yes, they do. They definitely do. So you made it to medical school and you started your journey to prepare as a doctor. Um, how was that process like? Well, medical school was definitely a, a little bit of a shock uh, because I had built a potential in undergrad and I got to a point where I was very comfortable with the workload that I was having and I felt prepared to go to medical school. Uh, but what I encountered in medical school was a totally different environment because not only the quality of the students is superb, everybody in mm. medical school has been at the top of their class, has gotten straight A's, um, has a multitude of interests, and they're mm -hmm. very interesting people. Mm -hmm. um, but also the learning process in medical school is fast, is, is so fast. So you have to memorize large chunks of information mm. in a very small amount of time mm -hmm. in order to build a foundation to then become a problem solver. Um, and I was really good at the problem solving part, but I was horrible at the memorizing part. Mm. So that is something that I wish mm. I had nurtured more in undergraduate. And this is where we mm. talk about standardized test taking. In medical school, I encountered standardized, standardized test again. And that is really the time that I felt that I had a disadvantage compared to my colleagues. Because I realized that a lot of them had come from years of preparation to take standardized tests, mm. uh, coursework, prep work, test taking strategies that I had in some sense not been exposed to. I had uh, really just kind of gone through life solving problems mm -hmm. and, and finding the logical way through problems, mm -hmm. but not really training my brain yeah. to be a good test taker. Stephanie, so, you know, like everything else, you you were trying to figure out how to navigate the spaces. How do you find out what you were supposed to do uh, once you got into medical school? Because, you know, not having that experience from your parents or from your family, um, that, you know, that would be my first go-to, my family and their experiences. You didn't have that. How do you find that information? Yeah, um, that's a very important point because I struggle with that at the beginning. I joke that in undergrad, I usually would get through the cracks and there would only be one door open and I would try to get through that door. Mm -hmm. But once you go to medical school, you are set in a position that you can literally take your career in any direction that you want. Mm -hmm. You can become a procedural uh, doctor. You can become a medicine-based doctor, internal medicine-based doctor, mm -hmm. um, or a combination of the two. Um, I will say that mm. I think that when you when you start medical school, it, it's it's a little bit of an overwhelming experience because you are tasked with memorizing, take doing well in tests, but also figuring out, like you were saying, this the rest of your life basically. Um, I would say that one of the most important things a medical student can do is to start shadowing from an early. Uh, point mm -hmm. and really look into professions that they would never ever have considered 
up until medical school. Mm-hmm. Again, just like we talked about undergrad, exploring things outside of your comfort zone is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And paying attention to those little sparks of inspiration mm-hmm. is, is really your, should be your guiding compass. Um, so it happened so that I went to medical school thinking I wanted to be a surgeon, specifically a neurosurgeon, because I had read a book from a lady <laughs> neurosurgeon who was amazing. <laughs> and I went into a neurosurgery and I absolutely hated it. Um, just it was not for me. I just had a terrible feeling. Nothing against neurosurgeons. I just had a feeling that it was not for me. Mm-hmm. So I explored other fields. And what I realized was that for me, the human connection, the ability to talk person to person was so important in mm-hmm. my ability to, to grow professionally. Mm-hmm. And so I focused on specialties where you spend a lot of face time with the patient. Mm-hmm. And those are mainly clinic-based specialties. Um, and so once I decided that, I started looking at all of them and shadowing, and I found a beautiful world within the realm of dermatology because it had that human connection. You spend a lot of face-to-face time and, of course, looking at the skin, but it's also a deeply cultural medical subspecialty. Mm. It's uh, something that about the the skin b- that makes it a, a part of our fabric as a culture mm. because it is the layer that we see from yeah. other people yeah. and now more than ever these conversations are happening mm-hmm. how we are biased towards yeah. different skin tones yeah. and we may judge a person before even getting to know them based on what is on their skin mm-hmm. um, and so that was absolutely fascinating to me and I wanted to know more Thank you for listening. If you want to put a face to the voices you just heard, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at LatinxScan. If you have questions or feedback, you can email us at latinxscan at gmail.com. And if you want to support our project, please leave a review. We have made it easy for you and added the links to the show notes. That's it for now. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And remember, unidos somos más.